Blog Talk Radio. Sixers Report with your host, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Kasky Blomain. Wow. Wow. I am speechless uh, in the craziest week imaginable for Sixers fans. Uh, welcome back for another edition of the 76ers Report. Jeff here alongside Mike. And uh, as always, you can follow us on the app Stitcher and make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. Uh, insanity is the only way to describe the past few days for the Sixers. Uh, the leader of the process, Sam Hinkie, has stepped down as general manager of the team. Uh, it's reported that Brian Colangelo is supposed to take over his job as general manager. Uh, Mike, you were, you know, the first one to report that, you know, Hinkie might be stepping down, uh, getting the axe, whatever you want to call it, soon. Uh, but I think both of us were still in disbelief and still are that it happened so soon. Uh, what was your initial reaction to Hinky stepping down? Well, selfishly, my initial reaction was just a little bit of vindication because I took a beating when my first report came out a week <laughs> before uh, on Twitter, on Reddit, uh, all over social media. I mean, I was getting dragged through the mud for this report that I, people apparently thought I just pulled out of my ass and made up. So, uh, you know, when I, my, I actually didn't see it on Twitter. I got a couple messages like DMs and my phone started, uh, you know, like going off and I picked it up and people were just like, like, wow, like I can't believe it happened. So, you know, I jumped right on Twitter and saw it. And, uh, yeah, after, uh, you know, I, I sent out a tweet, like something like I told you, so get, get that out of the way. But once all that, that settled in, it was, uh, it was shock pretty much. Um, you know, when I, the initial report that I put out was that his, you know, long-term future was in jeopardy. Um, you know, basically I, I had heard what had been going on behind the scenes, whereas, you know, the, this front office support was kind of split, whereas some were still, you know, in, in Hinky's corner thought that his plan should still, you know, continue to go, that he should get a little more time. And some, um, you know, some in the ownership group had just lost patience, uh, whether it be because of, you know, pressure from the outside for, you know, to get the team better <clears throat> or just, uh, you know, other GMs around the league um, or just the national backlash in the media, whatever, whatever it be, um, you know, patience was just lost. They they committed to, uh, you know, some of the plan initially. And I, I think the beginning of this year where, you know, the team started off 0-17 again, uh, started off the season 1-30, and uh, it, you know, which was worse than any of us had expected. I think that was really like the catalyst for, you know, some of the, like the internal uh, issues inside the front office. But, you know, I did not expect, like, I, it wasn't made clear to me at, at all that it was going to happen in such like a, you know, the imminent future. 
uh, it was kind of, I kind of got the impression from, you know, the information that it was more something that might happen to, you know, heading into next season after the summer. Uh, but I certainly didn't think that, you know, it would come to head so quickly, you know, that he would leave before the season even ended and wouldn't be around, you know, for this summer really, which is going to be, you know, a huge payoff of a lot of the, the work he's done with the cap space and the draft picks, uh, you know, it, it certainly, you know, I did not expect that he would not be around for that, you know, that part of the process. Yeah, I mean, common sense says that this was the plan all along when they, uh, you know, hired Jerry Colangelo in December. And uh, judging by that just ridiculous 13-page manifesto that Hinky uh, wrote, you know, he knew the process was over from that day forward. Uh you know, you don't write something like that in a few days. That thing took him a while to write. Um, a ton of sources that I'm still trying to figure out who they are uh, to this day. But, uh, yeah, was there ever a world in which Jerry, Brian, and Sam could have all existed together? Or do you think, you know, Sam just had too much pride to let that happen? No, there's there's no world in which all three of them would have coexisted. There's barely – I mean, I'm surprised that Sam and Jerry were able to coexist for as long as they did. Uh, you know, Sam went from having the, the, the sole power, basically, in the rebuilding process to they bring someone in directly over his head in Jerry Colangelo, which, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall then. I think a lot of people were still kind of naive and, you know, still fully trusted the ownership in the front office to – you know, have the gall and like to, to continue with the process. But, you know, as, as soon as they brought Jerry in, there was a lot of speculation, but it was just that. But, you know, I think the speculation was really based in reality. Uh, you know, they, they minimized his power once. And then, you know, I, I can't imagine that the organization really thought that Sam would take another, uh, you know, another marginalization of his power, especially if it's the son of the other they brought in, you know, he would basically, you know, just be squeezed out at that point. Uh, you know, if him and Brian were to be on the same level and they disagreed and brought it up top to Jerry, I mean, who's, what side is Jerry going to lean toward? It just seemed like a, a no-win situation for Hinky at this at that point where he just basically wouldn't have any say, uh, really, about the moves going forward, you know, with to use all the assets that he's built up personally. So, I mean, I, I really don't – obviously, he resigned. That's the reports are. There's some, you know, saying that he quit on the process. I don't necessarily believe that. It, yeah. He was really basically squeezed out. Um, the way I look at it, like he, you know, he really could have remained within the organization voiceless and, you know, taken a demotion to the head of the analytics department or whatever that report from uh, Tom Moore said, you know, that they were going to strip him of his GM duties, but keep him, you know, in the organization maybe, or put him like slightly below Brian Colangelo or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, at that point, as, as he made clear in that, that letter that, uh, you know, you and I both have read, um, at that point, he just felt that he wouldn't be a value to the organization. You know, his voice wouldn't be heard, and he wouldn't be able to act upon what he felt was in the best interest for the team. And at that point, he just decided to walk away. So, I mean, I, I really can't fault him, uh, you know, at that point for leaving. I think it was almost like, a, you know, a move by the Sixers where they, you know, I think they had to have an idea that that was going to happen, that he wouldn't just accept yet another marginalization of his power. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Ownership hired Hinky for one goal, to put the process in motion, to follow it until there are tangible results on the court. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, this has been a disappointingly slow process. Uh, most fans seem to think, though, that, you know, the Sixers are now finally on the cusp of what should be a very successful young team moving forward. Uh, how upset are, uh, sorry, how upset are you with the ownership that, 
They didn't stay true to their word and got rid of Hinky just months before the draft. That really encompasses, you know, all the work that he's put in over the past two and a half years. Yeah, I mean, disappointment, it's not even the word. I mean, it's really the biggest fear of all the, you know, the pro process people, or at least the people that have understood the, you know, the ideal behind Hinky's plan all along. You know, the biggest fear was exactly that, that the ownership would get, you know, impatient or that they would cave to, you know, national backlash against what they were doing. Like I said, whether it's from the media or from, you know, other billionaire investors or other NBA owners, uh, from Adam Silver himself, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, they said all the right things at first, that they would give Hinky all the time that he needed, that they would allow, you know, that they were on board with the, you know, quote unquote, the process. And they weren't. I mean, exactly what people, you know, didn't want to happen. I wrote about it, I think, a year and a half ago. Uh, you know, I think Derek Bodner had written about it. That, you know, basically the worst thing that could happen in in this process would be the ownership giving up too early. And that's exactly what mm-hmm. happened. It happened as soon as they brought uh, Colangelo on board. There was nothing positive as far as, you know, uh, front office, with, as far as bringing Colangelo on board. Like, I understand the logic behind it, but they knew, you know, they knew what was going to happen at, at that point. And it's just, you know, it's too early, you know, for Sam to be gone at this point. He did all this groundwork. And now, you know, two months before the biggest draft in, you know, franchise history in the re- past, you know, 20 years or so, it's a complete switch of the, you know, regime up, up front, a completely different department. And, you know, it, it just seems the timing couldn't be worse. Uh, I don't understand really why it had to happen now. Uh, like the, the harvest was going to be so this summer anyway, you know, there was the, all the cast base was going to be there. They already had Jerry in there that could overrule Sam if he didn't like, like what he was doing. So, you know, it just seemed it, it, the timing was bad and it just seems like a, a, you know, a letdown by the, by the ownership to, to start uh, such like a grand plan and, you know, allow the the fans to be subject to how tough the past three seasons have been. And the thing is the fan base has been cool with it. Surprisingly, you know, a vast majority of the people understand and we're down with it. And then, you know, to do just pull the plug on it. I mean, they basically ended up pissing off the entire fan base in a three year, you know, three year span because originally <laughs> yep. if you, if you weren't, if you weren't with the process, you were, you know, talking, you know, talking smack on the ownership for allowing it to happen. And then the other half that supported the process are now, you know, furious with the ownership for pulling the plug on the process. So, I mean, it's just a bad look for, you know, for the ownership. If you're going to commit to something, stick with it or don't stick with it. But, you know, it's just the first sign that there's a chance that we're going to, you know, they're going to try to get this team back to, you know, some semblance of decency in a in a quick, like haphazardly manner by just like overspending and using the Colangelo to attract whoever it may be, and which would basically undo. You know, it would get the Sixers back in that same cycle of, you know, pretty good, de- like good, good, but not you know, like dynasty championship material. And you know, that's of course been the the, the reason for the process in the first place. So I mean. Yeah, I've calmed down a bit over the past couple of days, but I definitely, <laughs> definitely disappointed with you know ownership in general. I think everyone's blood is still boiling. Uh, it's, it's too fresh still. Just everything that has happened over the past few days. Um, you know, obviously Hinky wasn't a perfect general manager. He, uh, you know, behind closed doors, did not have the best relationship with agents. Uh, obviously, other team owners, uh, you know, press for Adam Silver to do something, and, and many think that that was bring Jerry Colangelo in. Um, you know, I, I think the nepotism involved with then, you know, hiring Brian Colangelo's son is 
just ridiculous. Um, but, you know, let's talk about Brian Colangelo here for a second. Um, you know, general manager of some great Phoenix Suns teams for 11 years with his dad, uh, Jerry, the owner. In an eerily similar situation, you know, he's walking into the same kind of setup with the Sixers now. Um, but after leaving the Suns, you know, he spent eight years with the Raptors as general manager. And during that time span, he won executive of the year twice, once with the Suns in 2005, once with the Raptors in 2007. But he was, you know, able to reach the, the Western Conference Finals just once with the Suns in 2005. And uh, the Suns also made it in 2006, but he left partially through the season. So I don't know if you, you know, can totally count that. And uh, with the Suns, he drafted Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire, you know, freed up enough cap space to, you know, keep Steve Nash on the Suns teams. He traded for Boris Diaw, who was named the 2006 Most Improved Player, hired Mike D'Antoni as coach, named Coach of the Year in 2005. And uh, with the Raptors, you know, he took a 27-55 and 55 team um, to a 47-35 and 35 team. And, uh, you know, he also drafted DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valacinas. Um, he traded for Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, all that happened before his exit in 2013. And that's kind of where all the good stops uh, because there's a lot of bad to talk about. You know, he, he traded Jason Kidd for Stephon Marbury with the Suns in what's looked at as one of the most awful trades in NBA history. Um, with the Raptors, he took Andrea Bargnani over LaMarcus Aldridge with the first pick in the 2006 NBA draft. And then, you know, to make matters worse, overpaid for Bargnani later on, five-year, $50 million contract. Uh, he traded away a young Roy Hibbert for an old Jermaine O'Neal, got rid of future Hall of Famer Chris Bosch for pennies on the dollar, signed Landry Fields to a $20 million, uh three-year deal. And, uh, you know, after his Executive of the Year award in 2007 with the Raptors, uh, they would finish 500 or below for the next six seasons before his exit. Um, you know, it's been quite a whirlwind of moves for Colangelo in his 19 years as general manager. Uh, what sticks out to you the most, Mike, and how much do you trust him to kind of finish the job that Hinky started here? Well, I mean, the toughest part, like right off the bat for Brian Colangelo coming to the Sixers, I mean, at least for me, is just the way that he's getting the job. Like, so already there's kind of, you know, like an element of, of mistrust, the way he's sort of like backing into this. Uh, you know, the fact that, you know, it was less than 30 minutes between the, the report that Hinky was stepping down to where reports were surfacing on Twitter that Brian Colangelo was going to be the guy, you know, which obviously – leads you to believe that there was some sort of, you know, at least discussions or arrangement. Well, you know, when Jerry probably initially came to the Sixers in December, there was probably some some conversation having to do with the moves down the, the road in the near future where they could bring in uh, someone, whether it was Brian was named by name or not, to, uh, you know, be at or above the same level as Hinkie and basically kind of squeeze Hinkie out. It, just, it all happened so quickly with the rumors of Colangelo coming in that there was obviously uh, – you know, some stuff going on behind the scenes before Hinky's exit, which, you know, kind of just rubbed me the wrong way, not to mention the fact that you mentioned, you know, nepotism in the NBA at the highest level of ownership like that. It's, you know, you can't help but kind of shake your head at it. It's the second time 
um, you know, he's going to be getting a, a general manager job because of, you know, because his father runs the organization. Uh, you know, there were reports that he didn't want the Sixers job for that exact reason. Um, you know, he didn't want to have that, that you know, uh, kind of following him around, the fact that he needed his dad to get him jobs. Um, the report said that he was actually interested in the Brooklyn Nets job. Um, so, you know, we have to wonder even what his commitment coming here is going to be in general. And not to mention that the fan base is going to look at every move he makes through such a magnifying glass, like how he spends the money that Sam Hinkie acquired for the team is going to be such like a, a touching, uh, like a touching point for, you know, coming up after in free agency and stuff. I just think he kind of, not necessarily by his own doing, but he's just in a really tough situation uh, to, you know, as far as with the fan base and with how, how much, uh, you know, pressure and kind of how many eyes are going to be on each move that he makes. Uh, with that being said, as far as like him being a GM, my main like issue with him, I think would be, you kind of just highlighted it would just be inconsistency. Like he, he, there's obviously a ton of bad moves he made that you could point to, uh, you know, with Bargnani um, being, selected first overall being the most obvious uh there's that you know that's that's a you know a pretty big mistake um and then you know as as you also mentioned you went down the list there's quite a few guys that he overpaid uh like that you would kind of scratch your head at and that's kind of a worry with the Sixers now with so much uh you know so much cap space and kind of probably a mandate from ownership to go out and you know try to try to acquire some quality free agents you worry that he's going to follow uh you know, a similar path here with like that he did with the Raptors and just overpay some players uh, to come, you know, get the Sixers to quickly back to like a, a mediocre level. And that, you know, that's a huge concern. But he also, like you, you alluded to also, he's made some decent moves. He did a lot of good, uh, you know, with the Suns, him and his dad, that they never won a title. But, you know, that that style that they utilized with D'Antoni and him and the, the players that they had there would be pretty, you know, very well suited for the NBA today, that fast pace, uh, you know, quick offense, shoot, spread the floor, have shooters all around, you know, a talented point guard like Steve Nash. Uh, you know, he did a lot of good there, did some decent in Toronto. Uh, you know, obviously the, the DeMar DeRozan pick, excuse me, DeMar DeRozan pick uh, worked out pretty well um, for him. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it's not necessarily that I have zero faith in him, uh, you know, especially the connections, obviously, that's been touched on since Jerry came here, the, the Colangelo's connections throughout the league that they've, you know, built up over time can't can't be overlooked and will probably certainly come in handy, uh, you know, this summer when they're pursuing free agents. So it's not like I didn't have quite the, the negative reaction to the name Brian Colangelo that I think some other people did. I, I certainly don't trust him, and I have my fair share of concerns. But like I said, it's more just how he ended up getting this position uh, and what, how much power him and his dad now probably wield within the Sixers that really concerns me the most. Yeah, and I mean, you just touched on uh, how you're kind of worried about this summer. Um, with the free agency, all this cap space, what Brian's going to do, and you know, obviously the Landry Field deal sticks out as one of the head-scratchers that – he did over with the Raptors. Um, yeah, I mean, the worry here is, you know, a lot of people clamored that, you know, the, the anti-process trusters, I guess, clamored like, oh, well, good thing Hinky's out because, you know, he has such a bad reputation with agents. No free agent's going to want to come here. So, you know, do you think really Brian Colangelo has that much more say to – you know, ha- have a pull and bring these top tier free agents in 
I, I think it's going to be a similar situation, especially coming off a, a potentially 10-win season here. You know, what free agent in their damn mind would come to Philadelphia at this point, um, you know, regardless of the money they're being being thrown? I mean, not the top ones. They might get the mid-level free agents here. But do you have faith, you know, Brian Colangelo is, is going to, you know, find these key pieces? Um, you know, this smells to me like they're going to throw a lot of money at a guy like Harrison Barnes this summer um, where, you know, if Hinky was in charge, you know, that wouldn't be something that would happen. But uh, what do you think of just the, the potential for just catastrophe this summer? Yeah, I, I think it's a huge concern, and it's, it's why I'm, you know, one of the main reasons why I'm pretty upset that Hinky's not even going to be here in any aspect. You know, I really – I think his, you know, his voice and his his outlook, you know, for – uh, the, this summer and the free agency and everything in conjunction with, you know, the roster that he has already built and the draft picks, you know, I really, as you said, he's kind of a guy that at least so far tends not to overpay and, you know, having his voice in, in the process going up, you know, through this summer, I think would have, you know, been really helpful. But uh, yeah, with that being said, the the potential for them to overpay is huge. Cause uh, I mean, we're not, no one's kidding themselves. No, you know, Kevin Durant, even Brett Brown said it yesterday in, in the pregame, he, you know, he said, I forget exactly what he said, but something along the lines of, like, we all know Brett, or, uh, Kevin Durant's not coming to the Sixers this summer. You know, so, like, yeah, at this point, there's there's nothing Brian Colangelo could do uh, to get the – like, he, he's not that – you know, doesn't have that type of pull that th- these guys are going to be lining up to all of a sudden come to the Sixers. I think, as you said, like, their their targets are going to be kind of that, that next tier down, like a, a Nick Batum type, like a Harrison Barnes type, a guy like that that's – you know, a good quality player, but not an all-star uh, necessarily or a superstar. And, you know, that's the line where you could, you know, worry about them spending too much. You, you give a couple bad contracts, uh, you know, to mid-level players like that that don't really pan out and you're, you know, you're right back where you don't want to be with bad contracts kind of saddling you down and limiting your flexibility, uh, you know, and that's what Hinky and, you know, has worked so hard to avoid and set the Sixers up for over the past, uh, you know, three years was to not have that and to have, as much flexibility going forward that they so that eventually they could take on and off like a superstar caliber player. And, you know, something like that might be a year or two down the road if, you know, if the draft pans out this year and they land a, an Ingram or a Simmons and another high pick, and, you know, MB comes back and, you know, things start to get a little bit better next year and they look improvement down the line, you know, maybe at that point, uh, you know, the Colangelo's, you know, uh, connections could help them land a superstar or something. But I mean, this summer as it stands, there's nothing that Brian or Jerry Colangelo could do to, you know, help the Sixers chances of landing a franchise changer. And yeah, like you said, that's where the concern is because, you know, if there's a mandate from ownership, which you would have to think there is, you know, at this point, it's clear that ownership doesn't intend to tank next season. They want to be better. They've been facing a lot of backlash. Um, you know, now they have two, you know, two new people running the organization. that's not hinky. Uh, and who knows what the, you know, what their command is to do, uh, you know, to probably to make the team better. And, you know, you just worry about how they're going to go about doing that. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously, you know, hinky's tenure as general manager, he, he did make some bad moves, but, you know, the majority of the moves were great. People say that he won, you know, nearly every trade that he made, if not all of them, um, you know, people might argue that maybe the Dario Saric trade was a little over the top. They 
didn't actually get a player that could come over soon enough to play. But, you know, when you talk about optionality, which, uh, you know, both Sam and Brett have, have talked about several times, um, you know, he, he might give you the best possible chance of being a great player down the road as opposed to, you know, maybe the, the top guy uh, they could have taken around then was Rodney Hood, who I think didn't even go to like 19th in the draft. So, um, you know, you, you always try to make the best move possible, the smart move possible. Um, I think that Sam did that well, but, you know, when you look back, was there any move that you can say, okay, Sam got it wrong here, and, um, you know, maybe he wasn't the right guy in command to make that decision? I mean, yeah, there's definitely like a, a couple moves that you could point to as potentially questionable, but at the same time, you know, every move that he made was in what he thought was uh, the best interest of the team. Uh, you know, like for a lot of people, you could point to the MB pick or the Savage pick, mainly like that 2014 draft, I think really hurt. Excuse me. Uh, to the, you know, where no, no, like neither of them played for that entire season. I think people tend to point to that a lot. But then at the same time, you know, if the MB to pick ends up panning out or if Savage comes over and is good, then, you know, the, the situation's different. Uh, you know, the people are saying they would have rather had, you know, Zach Levine or you said Rodney Hood with like that later, that second pick. Uh, obviously, his another move was the fact that he didn't hasn't really brought in a point guard. Well, the the point guard inconsistency since, uh, you know, since they traded Carter Williams, not bringing a Smith back to start this season. And, you know, it's it's possible that honestly that that move, though it seemed small at the time, that could have honestly had a lot to do with his eventual fate because, uh, you know, this season started off so rough and obviously worse than anyone, including Hinky, as he said, uh, expected it to be, uh, you know, the 1-31 and start, uh, 0-17. And and a lot of that had to do with how terrible the offense was. You know, it was stagnant and it wasn't, you know, they just couldn't run it. Uh, You know, T.J. McConnell and Kendall Marshall, Tony Roten, uh, it it wasn't working. And you saw, like, the turnaround as soon as they brought Ish back um, <clears throat> in December. If they had just, you know, obviously kept Ish, you know, re-signed him after the season. You know, Noel liked him last year. He ran the offense very well. It was, you know, it was obvious that he was a, a decent guy. He was pretty cheap. Like, there's no reason that, that Sam couldn't have kept Ish around. And in that situation, they might have avoided um, to be as bad as it was. And then, you know, at that point, who knows if – Colangelo would have even been brought in in the first place. I mean, obviously that's all speculation, but there's, you know, there's certainly some moves, uh, you know, there's a couple guys he passed on in the, in that first draft. Um, you know, obviously Giannis was drafted, I think mm-hmm. two or three spots after, uh, you know, after MCW, uh, there was rumors that the Sixers wanted to uh, offer or obtain Dennis Schroeder from the Hawks uh, at the trade deadline. And, you know, he was sitting there when the Sixers picked Michael Carter Williams and he's a, uh, you know, he's a guy that's basically so far panned out almost exactly as projected. So, you know, if Hinky was so enamored with him, you know, at the trade deadline recently, you know, one would question, well, why didn't you just draft him uh, instead of Michael Carter-Williams at the time if you didn't even, mm-hmm. you know, if you weren't sure on uh, on MCW. But uh, then, you know, of course, if the Sixers end up getting Buddy Heald somehow with that fourth pick from the Lakers this year and people are happy about that, that, of course, stems from the Michael Carter-Williams mm-hmm. pick. So, I mean, every, everything he did, I mean, there's, like you said, there's definitely moves you could point to and be like, well, maybe he could have done this better. But, you know, the logic behind it all, he basically outlined it all almost like move by move in that 13-page letter. Like, you at least knew 
what like the idea like what his thinking was behind the moves even though a few of them you know you could disagree with certainly like you know not bringing ish back obviously i don't i don't know why he kind of sat on his hands with uh sean kilpatrick uh from the d league that was another kind of head scratcher obviously the team needed a wing uh real bad and he was kind of just sitting there for the taking and now he got signed uh you know to a multi-year from the nets so i mean yeah Mm -hmm. inactivity in general was an issue i think for that some people pointed to like the team could have still been bad, like, you know, tanked and been really bad with like a, a little bit more, like a couple more legitimate NBA players. Like, you know, last year we had Jay Reg for a little bit or Elton Brand, like Carl Landry, I think, you know, and you saw the benefit of having those guys in the lineup, but it was too, you know, like few and far between. I think if there was like a couple, just like one or two consistent, like decent NBA, like veteran type guys on the roster throughout the years, that probably could have helped, you know, I'm not, I'm not one preaching like oh, veteran leadership. I'm not saying that, but like, there's, I mean, there's just, there's definitely a few things. And I think he would admit it, of course, that he could have done better, but you know, overall, I don't, I think like pretty much all the moves that he made for the team are sound. Once again, this is the 76ers report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin alongside Michael Kafke, Blue Main. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, it's very hard to to think about this situation, but it's definitely not out of the question. Um, Brett Brown's future with the team, you know, now that Sam's gone, obviously Sam brought him in and people kind of hammered his, his coaching search. That was one of the first things people really um, got kind of upset over um, when Sam Hinkie took the, the reins of the team was how long it took him to find uh, the next coach of the team. But I, I think that everyone, um, at least in the Philadelphia area, loves um, Brett Brown as a person. Obviously, he hasn't had enough talent to really show his coaching ability. But, um, you know, at, at least defensively, at at times you've seen flashes. This season was, was not one of those times where you saw flashes. It's been pretty putrid all year. Um, but he's had to deal with a lot, you know, a lot of injuries. seems like people are – constantly cycling to uh you know the the medical room to to get treated for a different ailment um but uh do you think that you know with brian taking over with uh mike and tony as an assistant coach now um one of his kind of buddies um with the the staff currently do you see a scenario where you know brett leaves and mike takes over as head coach I think it's fair to speculate on, uh, definitely. I definitely think it's it's fair to speculate on. I mean, at this point, with you know the Colangelo's in charge, you honestly have no you know no idea exactly what they're what they're thinking. You know, Hinky or uh, you know Brett Brown was obviously Hinky's guy. Um, you know, there's there there's a history with Mike D'Antoni, obviously in the, the Colangelo's. He's already sitting there on the roster, so I mean, it, it certainly crossed my mind already. You know, obviously Brett just signed an extension, which probably works in his favor. And also, I, I think at that point, ownership has to know the type of backlash that uh, you know a, a move like that would be received with. It would be, it would be a, a real shame for Brett Brown to not even get an opportunity. I mean, imagine seriously, imagine that for Brett Brown to not even get an opportunity to coach the uh, team with, yeah. you know, half decent NBA players to basically just be subjected to, you know, three years of very subpar, like sub bad talent, and then just be cut loose like right before the team's about to. Uh, turn it around. I mean, the thing is, we don't know if Brett Brown is the right guy to lead a championship team or not. I, no one knows. 
but I mean, he deserves a chance. It's, by all accounts, he's you know a very good coach. The players like him. As you said, like the city likes him. He's great with us, the media members. Uh, you know, he's open with reporters. He seems like a, a great, genuine guy. He's been. I mean, I can't imagine how draining the past three years would be on a basketball coach. Uh, and he's been as positive, you know, and energetic as could be. I mean, it would just be a, a real, real shame if he was kind of pushed out in a way that Hanky was before he was given an opportunity to at least show what he could do with with a half decent, uh, you know, with a half decent roster. That would be, you know, I think that would be not necessarily a, a turning point for Sid, but that would be, you know, a, a really difficult thing for a lot of Sixers fans to swallow. And you know, they've had a, a lot of difficult things they've had to swallow over the past few years, and that would just be. You know, I think another one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with that being said, it's definitely – I mean, I'm not saying I, I expect it, but it's, you know, it's another one of those things that wouldn't be, you know, a complete shock if something like that did happen. Well, yeah, I mean, another thing that goes along with that is just the constant cycle of bad press the team has gotten. Uh, obviously, Jalil Okafor earlier in the year. And, you know, coming out yesterday – the news about Nerland's Noel just being, you know, maybe the most awful renter of all time. Um, you know, uh, I guess now we know what an NBA salary can, can get you, uh, paid $54,000 for a one-year lease on a, you know, nice apartment outside of Philadelphia or a nice home. And, um, you know, now there's news that came out that he just destroyed the home I don't know how you decipher their Gatorade stains on the rug, but they said, uh, you know, Gatorade stains on the the rug. There's, like, you know, joint roaches all over the floors, uh, toilet damage, apparently feces still, still being left in the toilet, um, a, a possible death threat where there was some kind of, like, tombstone flower thing left on the uh, uh, the sidewalk in front of the home, you know, just constant damage, broken elevator, damage to the stove, damage to the fridge. Just apparently he left this in the worst possible condition and uh, is now being sued by his uh, former landlord. Uh, do you think, you know, with what happened to Jalil earlier, what happened to Noel, uh, you know, with this whole Renner's fiasco, do you think that's just a thing where, you know, Brett Brown might not be holding his players more accountable and, you know, he really doesn't know what's going on in their personal lives with, I mean, I don't know if that's really the, the coach's job to do, but do you think that just adds to um, just ammo for the Colangelo family if they were to, to take out Brown? First of all, I think I love that that Noel story that broke yesterday. As <laughs> you mentioned it, the, the Gatorade stains. I love how that was such like an emphasis. Uh, the TMZ report. <laughs> I remember uh, the headline I was reading. It, it was like Nerland's Noel being sued. Then it was like drugs, death threats, Gatorade stains. Like there was like this crazy thing like Gatorade stains on the carpet. But yeah, like that that aspect of it was funny. Uh, I mean, obviously that that report. It's you know I, he. You, you would like him to have, you know, more respect, whatever, but it, it's real hard for me to find too much fault with, you know, someone not, you know, destroying their uh, their rented place as far as it being like Brett Brown's responsibility. Uh, you know, I don't know if anything, I think that would be a rallying cry for some of the people that have been, you know, like preaching veteran leadership and like, you know, this is how you should do uh, 
it reminded me of, if anything, of uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, I think when we were all waiting for Andrew Bynum to come back, a report came out that he was being sued by his like neighbors or something in L.A. <laughs> Uh, yeah. being like the worst roommate ever and having like loud parties and like racing his, his cars up and down the street at like three in the morning. Uh, I don't know if that's just like a rite of passage for young NBA centers to just be like terrible neighbors and renters <laughs> or, or what it is. But uh, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a mistake uh, by Netherlands, but it's, I don't think it's, it's huge. And I don't think, at least personally, I, I don't think you could hold Brett Brown really responsible for that. I, I'm sure the way Brett, Brett is, he kind of views himself as a, you know, a father figure to a lot of these guys. So if, assuming he didn't know that that ha- and again i think this this was rented like two years it, he's been moved out for like almost a year or something like it's not his current spot but mm-hmm. uh you know knowing brett my guess is that after that came out yesterday probably before the game at some point he pulled Maryland aside and you know they had a, a little talk both about like how to handle it publicly and about you know just not doing stuff like that in the future being a better person uh knowing brett that's probably how he handled it but you know hopefully that's not used against him I think that would be a you know a pretty big stretch to hold uh, you know Brett Brown who already has his hands his hands like so full having to you know answer all the questions for the team you know over the past couple of years and coach you know I think that's a stretch to hold him accountable for you know the living conditions of his players um I, I mean in the NBA rules obviously you can you know do drugs uh I don't know if they can can get Noel on this. I mean, I don't know what the statute of limitations is, that that kind of thing. But, you know, we've seen what has happened to Larry Sanders and Michael Beasley in the past for this kind of thing. Um, do you think that Noel sees any kind of suspension or fine or um, what have you for, you know, having marijuana in his possession in his former place of residence? You know, honestly, I don't know the rules on that. As you said, like, this, I don't know if they can, retro, like, retroactively go back and, like, just based off a report, like, a court document like that. I, I don't know if the league can do it. I think usually the only way, uh, you know, you don't hear about it, I think, until a player fails the third uh, drug test for marijuana, and that's when they get the five-game suspension, I think. So I think the only way, like, I, I don't – what I'm saying is I don't think that he could get in trouble for, like, a report that said there was marijuana at his house. Like, he could always say it like, wasn't mine or – whatever, whatever. I think the only way that he could go down would be for a drug test. But, you know, that being said, uh, obviously I'm not, I have no problem with like marijuana use, but as far as pro athletes go, you know, it is against the rules at this point. So he'll obviously need to be careful because, you know, you mentioned a couple cases of very talented players that, you know, had trouble with, you know, that issue in the past. And we certainly don't want to see him, you know, going down a similar path like that. And uh, some, maybe the only positive news of the week our favorite player of all time, Alan Iverson, inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. Uh, I guess the ceremony is coming up in July. Um, is that something you're trying to get down to at Springfield to see? And uh, you know, how happy are you for for AI? Yeah, man. If the I was already thinking about that. If the hotels aren't already booked up, it's definitely something I think that would be uh, worth seeing. And you know, my level of happiness was it, honestly it was it's was pretty crazy. Like I. I inside literally felt like personal happiness for Iverson you know just you and I both uh you know after just following him for so long uh you know his entire career both like through the ups and the downs and uh you know he the fact that he's just been able to you know keep it you know keep it positive and just be himself throughout you know everything and you know let alone what he was able to do for the Sixers and on the basketball court he's just uh 
you know, he's a one of a kind, like one of a generational player overall. And, you know, the relationship that he had with Sixers fans are just, you know, people of our generation in general. They're, you know, at least for me, they'll never be, he'll always be my favorite athlete. Like, they'll never be, I like other athletes mm-hmm. that I have before, I will again, but like, he will forever just the way like you know he impacted the game the city and you know everything that he stood for really just resonated with me and you know obviously millions and millions of other people uh so to see that recognized and you know I think we all knew he was going to get to the hall of fame but to see it actually you know come to fruition and as a first balloter I it just felt like a sense of a a great way to close his career because obviously you know I think UI, you know, everyone that followed Iverson's career kind of wish it ended a little bit differently, uh, you know, you know, uh, but this is, uh, you know, he's still so young as far as life to be able to, you know, be and enjoy and appreciate being a first ballot Hall of Famer when he's, you know, like 40 years old and just go, you know, and just be done with basketball and appreciate the legacy that he accomplished. It just seemed like a great way to, you know, end his career. And I was, you know, just really happy to see, see it for him. Yeah. And some more, you know, raw emotion, yesterday during his press conference, uh, you know, prior to the Sixers game. And, um, yeah, he's just a class act. I, I mean, obviously he's had his, his troubles over the years, and um, it just comes with him as a person. It, it kind of made him who he was, both as a player on and off the court. Um, I mean, you know, he'll go down as definitely the, the best pound-for-pound player ever to play the game. Uh, you know, you put out um, you know, the different scoring records he's achieved uh, during his career on Twitter. And, I mean, I'm just really excited for his speech. I think it's going to be fantastic. If he's able to get through, like, the first two seconds of that thing without crying, uh, I think it would be <laughs> unbelievable. But, um, yeah, I mean, what a class. Shaq and uh, Yao and Tom Izzo, just three great, great um you know, people in the basketball world. I think it was um, incredible to see, you know, Iverson hug Jordan uh, when Jordan was out there in in Houston as well for the, you know, NCAA National Championship game, Uh, that incredible, uh, (laughs) amazing game that that happened Monday night. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing to start your week with that, to end it the way it has here, um, you know, as a Sixers fan. And I, I think you put on Twitter uh, yesterday just classic Sixers uh, PR department to, you know, have Iverson talk before the game yesterday and Joel Embiid suit up for team pictures and do his little, you know, pregame warm-up in the uniform before that, uh, you know, loss to the Knicks with everything else going on. Um, just, I, I mean, was that something you expected the team to do? Yeah, I mean, using Iverson is just starting to become commonplace. Like, oh, something's going wrong. Like, the fans aren't happy. Let's bring Iverson out for, like, a ceremonial <laughs> bobblehead night or a ceremonial, like, toss the ball night. It's, it's you know, it's it's comical at this point. And then the fact that, you know, having Joel out there in that jersey was – that was just, like, the icing on the cake for me. I mean, that <laughs> what, what better way for them to be like, oh, hey, look, like, don't think – don't worry about what's going on behind the scenes. Look at this great, like, shiny object out on the court, like, Joel shooting in his jersey. You know, like you said, it's a classic Sixers PR move. Uh, they have yet to address, like, publicly any of this. Like, the whole – the leaking of the letter and then the fact that, you know, Hinky didn't – hasn't talked yet. Josh Harris hasn't talked yet. Brett Brown has been the only one to public uh, – you know, like always, has been the only one to 
have to field all these questions and comment on, you know, how he feels about the situation. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, and then, of course, at, at the first home game when, you know, people are talking about protesting or wearing, like, hinky shirts or this and that, and they're, you know, they whether or not the Iverson thing was planned ahead of time, I, I don't know. It's, it's possible that it was, but that, you know, that just combined with the fact that they team pitcher day and let Okafor, uh, let Embiid stay out there and shoot around in the jersey was just, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And, you know, like you said, another classic uh, PR distraction move by the Sixers. Yeah, a couple more uh, kind of funny things happened last night. Um, you know, during that Iverson press conference, I guess at the very end, uh, the Sixers PR guy, Mike Preston, was just like, all right, uh, last question, guys, uh, you know, during that Iverson press conference. And Iverson was just like, how are you going to tell me last question? I don't play for the team no more. <laughs> just, uh, you know, came at Mike Preston for trying to wrap up his uh, his ceremony. Um, so that was one thing. And then um, I think it was around halftime, uh they were going to do like a, a half court shot for some kind of prize between the season ticket holders at the Sixers game. And some, you know, some season ticket holders came down to, you know, behind the basket waiting for their turn to shoot. And a couple of them, one was wearing like a hinky Jersey. Uh, a few more were wearing some like trust the process shirts or something. And so the Sixers, uh, PR team or whoever it was made them actually remove their shirts and uh, you know wear an undershirt or you know a pro Sixers shirt uh, while they took their shot from from half court. I mean, just how petty is that as an organization to you know one do what you did to the fans this season and then you know say oh you can't be you know showing your support towards our former GM. Um, as a fan on this court, yeah, that was that was another another move that I, I don't even know what what my reaction was to, but yeah, petty I guess is a great way to put it. I mean, like exactly like a like in general, how are you going to tell someone like what they can and can't wear to you know an event like that unless it's obviously you know like something offensive or explicit or that's one thing, but yeah, sure that the I, it was like a, a jersey that said hinky on the back with like a money sign like the. Like you said, that's the team's former GM. He's like that team is set up for success because of him. And he like you pushed him out, and then not to not to allow someone to shoot in that shirt. That it was you know just the the height of pettiness for me. And uh, you know the that combined with like the the we what we were talking about with the distraction, it was just you know that it was just a lot of interesting moves. Now that they're trying to completely like disassociate with everything hanky. I think uh, someone pointed out on Twitter. I think it was Max uh, Rappaport pointed out that they. Sixers.com also uh, de- like killed uh, all the pages like that they just had a couple weeks ago. If you remember, they had uh, a link to a, a hinky video like addressing the fans about. I think it was at the, like, the new practice facility wearing that hard hat, talking about like the future and all that. Like yeah. that that's gone. That's gone from the site now. Uh, you just get like a dead 404 link if, if you try to go there. Uh, they're, so basically, they're you know they're just very quickly trying to distance themselves from Hinky, uh, which is, you know, obviously it didn't end uh, on a on great note, but, you know, as we said, obviously so much of the, the success that they're poised for is based on what Hinky has done. It, it just seems, uh, you know, further makes the situation even further strange that they're, you know, going to such measures to, you know, distance themselves from all things Hinky. 
I mean, nobody's going to forget about Hinky. If they think they can just delete a couple articles off their, uh, you know, team page, that he's not going away. You know, fans don't have – the fans aren't that stupid for – you know, they they might believe they are, but, um, you know, they're going to remember Sam Hinky for everything he did. Uh, I mean, people bring up the inter- interesting comparison of when Pat Gillick uh, took over as GM of the Phillies uh, after Ed Wade kind of set up the team. Uh, obviously, you know, they weren't over, able to get over that hump to the playoffs with Ed Wade as GM, but, you know, he's the one who drafted Pat Burrell, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, you know, brought all these guys on board that kind of set up the way for Pat Gillick to then take the next step and uh, win a World Series and, you know, have all that success as general manager of the team. I mean, even when uh, Ed Wade moved on to Houston, he, you know, was the guy that sent over Brad Lidge to the Phillies, who obviously had that perfect season that led to the World Series title. Uh, I mean, do you see something like that happening where, you know, down the line, maybe the Sixers compete for a championship and, you know, people regard Sam Hinkie as the guy who got them there, not the actual GM at the time. Well, it's really tough because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be split. So, like, one way or another, the future of the Sixers, in the short term, <coughs> at least, is going to be built on the moves that Hinky did. But we're never going to know to the full extent if, you know, Hinky himself could have got the thing to work. There's always going to be uncertainty now because there will be people that, <coughs> you know, like, say, the Sixers go on to great success, win a couple titles down the road the next few years, all based off of, you know, the cap space, draft picks, assets, based off all of what Hinky set up, there will be, they'll, they'll be <coughs> like the, the group of people saying, you know, this is all because of Sam Hinky paying tribute to him. But then there'll also be the other half of detractors saying like, no, this is all because of the Colangelo's. Like we had to get Hinky out of there because he wouldn't, he wasn't the right guy to, you know, build this up. Uh, it, it's just, so it's, it's, that's another, like one of the toughest parts about the fact that he's gone. It's just the fact that we'll never know for sure if his plan like worked or not as far as he would have seen it. Like it would have been nice to see to see him be able to, you know, capitalize off of the moves his own moves going forward. Whereas now like if, if it doesn't work going and like the team as we feared and we're talking about like it's Colangelo's just spend money at the wrong places and the team is stuck in mediocrity again, it'll just be what if. Like we'll never know what Hinky would have done with himself to put the team in a position forward. So I mean that's there'll definitely be a pocket of people, you know, myself and you yourself. I think most of the the really, you know, educated Sixers fans know and appreciate what Hinky has done in as far as like setting this team up for success. So if that success does come, uh, there'll definitely be, you know, a large group of people that, you know, will you'll have to give if that does come, you'll you some credit will have to be due to the people that assemble the roster, you know, whoever come in, you know, in the future, whether it be the Colangelo's or whatever, but there will be absolutely some of that credit will, you know, hands down be due to Hinky and the work that he did. And I, you know, I think, and I hope if that point comes, he'll get, you know, proper recognition for all that he's done. Um, so Josh Harris is expected to have a press conference today. I, I, I believe it's that one. Uh, I'm not sure. Exactly. Um, I guess to address the Colangelo hire, the Hinky stepping down, um, I don't know if there's really anything more to announce besides, you know, the way the season went and um, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I mean, I don't really know what to take 
of Josh Harris as an owner. Um, I feel like we've talked about it before on the podcast where, you know, he saw how much the Clippers sold for, you know, $2 billion. Um, The Sixers value as a franchise has increased tenfold, you know, since, since he uh, became the owner of the team. Um, Do you think that, you know, I'm big on conspiracy theories, at least. Do you feel like, you know, Josh is just kind of optimizing um, the value of this team by having, you know, a more well-known, respected guy running the team, um, maybe, you know, being able to sign free agents uh, a little better than Hinkie would have been able to, uh, establishing maybe closer to like a 500 record and then, you know, selling the team maybe in like two to three years from now uh, at its highest value. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, it's unfortunate, but, you know, it is what it is for him. Uh, Josh Harris with a, you know, a net worth of, I think, close to like $3 billion. It's, you know, it's a business that, you know, for everyone, obviously owning a sports team is a business. But, you know, some people you think, I guess, are more invested than others. I mean, he's not a he's not a Philadelphia guy. Yeah, obviously, you know, he owns also owns the, the Devils. Um, he does other work, you know, in New York. There's been rumors that he's interested in getting into the, you know, NFL market uh, overseas. Uh, you know, no, so none of it would surprise me. It's not like he's, uh, you know, a Philadelphia or a Sixers guy through and through. It certainly wouldn't shock me if he's, uh, you know, in the back of his head, either if, whether he's vocalized it or not, but, you know, thinking about, as you mentioned, like NBA teams over the past five years or so since he's taken over, you know, skyrocketed in general, uh, you know, he would double, triple the amount that he paid for the team. If, you know, even with how much they've struggled recently, you know, just the professional team in the Philadelphia market would sell for, you know, not probably not the Clippers price, obviously, but, you know, getting close to, uh, I don't, at least a billion, you would have to think close to it. Uh, and, you know, so it's it's definitely something that I would not be shocked if he's thought about and, you know, acted on in the next, you know, few years of after, you know, kind of what you just said gets the team back to a little bit of respectability with some decent players and, uh, you know, better known guys in the front office. And then, yeah, just look to flip them, you know, and that's, you know, exactly what the concern is. I think that we were talking about before is that, if that is, you know, the the short-sighted goal for him is to maximize like the value of the team in order to get, you know unload it, then the you know he would want um, the Colangelo's to spend money on you know players this summer that's not necessarily in the long-term best interest of the team, but rather just in the interest of getting the team back to you know respectability and at a level that you could be like, oh well, we have X and Y player on the roster, they're pretty good, and you can, you know, just make it look more appealing in the short term, whereas in the long term, it's actually hamstringing the organization. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that's a concern. Uh, it probably played into some of the, you know, their loss of patience with the process overall in, in the third year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even though the team has been, you know, financially, as we both said, it's, it's worth more now than it, it, it was when they bought it by far. But, uh, you know, at this point, they were probably, uh, you know, there's I think there was a growing sense of kind of like, what do we have to show for this team right now? You know, it's it's such a, it's taken such a beating in the media, like the value of it is, you know, it's not looking good uh, like nationally. Like, so they're, you know, starting to get worried at the beginning of the season. And they, like exactly as you said, uh, whether however Colangelo ended up getting connected with the Sixers, whether, whether it was through the league or Adam Silver or whatever that, that report was, but that, uh, you know, that was an opportunity that they saw probably of, 
a f- kind of a, a fast track almost to respectability of the franchise uh, and overall value. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a possibility, and I think it also plays in the, into the overall concern about what the decision-making process is going to be like for the Sixers going forward. So uh, the other side of that, do you think Jerry Colangelo is a buyer if the Sixers are for sale? Does, does he have money like that? I honestly don't even know. I mean, he, <laughs> I don't know where he got his money, but uh, you know, he owned the Suns at one point, so he's got to have some. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's, which funny to say about a guy that's in t- tons of power, but it doesn't seem like he's super interested in the Sixers. Like he, he has no plans to move to Philly. You know, he's running his operation out of Phoenix. He's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, still the chair of the USA Basketball. He was at we were that uh, the Hall of Fame announcement in Houston on Monday when Iverson and all them came out and Shaq, who was right there on the stage with them, Jerry Colangelo, of course. Uh, he, you know, he's still very active in like the basketball community. I'm, I'm not sure if owning the Sixers is, is you know something that he would want to do. It, uh, potentially maybe as a partner in like an ownership group, uh, I could see it happening. And maybe, you know, there's maybe there's more behind the scenes going on that we just haven't, you know, the dominoes haven't fallen yet. Maybe that was mentioned down the road, a potential, you know, joining the ownership group. I mean, who knows? And that, that's kind of what makes it. I mean, there's still that level of excitement going forward, but now there's a, an, a you know an added level of kind of nervousness because you just really don't know what you know what to expect or what's really you know what's the main plan or the goal or the motivation behind you know Jerry Colangelo in taking this job to begin with. Yeah, and I, I kind of just joked about it on Twitter, um, but how you know I, I might need to change my Twitter handle to. Timberwolves blog now, you know, after everything that has gone down over the past few days. Um, But, you know, in in reality, if you're not a fan of, of, you know, letting Hinky walk this way and you're really not a fan of kind of how the ownership has done things over the past few months here, you know, is there any reason to, to be a fan? You know, is now the time to uh to jump on the bandwagon for a guy, you know, like Andrew Wiggins or um you know, the the Warriors with Steph Curry, you know, is now the time to, to move on from the Sixers as a fan and, you know, not really follow the team until, you know, the ownership group is gone. I mean, if you're a casual fan, I, I guess that would be the time. I mean, unfortunately for me, I, I think you're the same way. I'm I'm just plagued with Sixers fandom. I mean, I, I couldn't do that, you know, uh, as much as I, like, disagree with the current ownership or, you know, the, what the moves that they're, you know, what they're doing, I, I couldn't, you know, my, my uh, loyalty lies with the Sixers. Uh, but with that being said, I definitely don't have any a problem with, you know, watching or, like, rooting for other teams or even, you know, there's some games, you know, recently over this past, like, stretch of 20, 30 games since, uh, you know, the, at the end of the season here where the Sixers have been on, but then at the same time on league pass, like the Warriors or, or something else. And, I, you know, I'll be <laughs> first to admit I, I, you know, opted to watch better basketball. Uh, you know, there's been times where I just haven't. It's been almost too hard to watch the Sixers. Uh, you know, but with that being said, if, it, if it's a fan that, you know, hasn't necessarily – been around for a long time. I mean, if you've been around for since, you know, before the Hickey era, you know, around since the Iverson era, there's no, uh, like, I, I don't, I don't think that you could just, uh, you know, obviously abandon the fan base, the franchise. You could certainly like disagree with the ownership, but I mean, if you're just a casual fan, then I don't even know why you'd be rooting for the Sixers at this point anyway. 
But uh, you know, yeah, in the short in the short term, I think you you almost have to find other things within the league to keep you interested. Uh, you know, the Warriors situation this year has been cool because it's uh, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of provided a distraction from you know quite how bad the Sixers are. You know, I've been trying to watch you know as many Warriors games as I can, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's almost like the polar opposite of the Sixers, kind of just like making me dream of the time that they can get to that point. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, definitely been tough this season, especially. And I, I can't blame, you know, I definitely couldn't blame, can't blame fans for not showing up to games, uh, you know, not wanting to spend money on tickets or even watching at home. But uh, you know, you, you know, you and I both know too. Once that this, this turns around, uh, and you know, the team is competitive again, those seats are going to be filled at Wells Fargo Center. There's been, uh, you know, such a buzz around the team for the past few years, even though they've been like this terrible, you know, the, the city's ready for, for good basketball. Uh, so, you know, I think that, and winning changes a lot of things, of course, you know, uh, so obviously once this team is, especially with some young, exciting talent, like, I mean, if, if, you know, fingers crossed, if Embiid hits the floor next year and we end up with Ingram or Simmons or, you know, combination of them or healed and done something, you know, the excitement is here, so I definitely think that as as bad as it's kind of sunk to this year, as we've kind of said all along with the process that the, you know, the potential for, you know, better times is right down the road, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, the closest I came, I guess, when I was really young, um, you know, I was a big Michael Jordan fan. I think my brother kind of turned me on to, you know, basketball fandom in general. Uh, he he basically had like a shrine to Michael Jordan at our house uh, with the wings poster and, you know, the, the slam dunk competition posters and all that. Uh, even now, you know, he just has, you know, a, a wall of, you know, Michael Jordan sneakers that have been unopened, you know, still in the box, kind of keeping that uh, Michael Jordan fandom alive in, in his sneaker head, head ways. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember rooting for the Bulls back then up to, you know, 1998 when, when he retired, I guess, the second time. And uh, I was, you know, cheering. I was all in on that uh, 98 Bulls team against the Jazz in the finals and watching that incredible, you know, pull-up by Jordan at the foul line. You know, I remember those days vividly. But obviously Iverson was coming along then, so that was short-lived and, you know, been a, a Sixers fan the rest of my life here. But, uh, yeah, I mean – I wouldn't necessarily blame people for leaving uh, their fandom at this point if they're really, you know, that upset with the ownership and, um, you know, everything like that. It's not the worst thing in the world. I also think it's, you know, kind of interesting how you said, you know, the Iverson years and the Hinky years. Um, you know, maybe there's Iguodala in between there for a couple of years. But, uh, yeah, it, it's really funny how the face of, the franchise the past three years has been the general manager and not a specific player. Um, so hopefully, you know, those times will change. You'll actually have a player to root for um, coming here, whether it's, you know, Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Hey, even, you know, what if Dario Sarge becomes, you know, the next uh, Tony Kukoc or, you know, something like that. Um, so, so we'll see what happens here. Um, that's, you know, kind of all we got for today. Really dug through a lot this episode. Uh, but once again, this was the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky-Blomain. We got three games left here of unwatchable basketball, so 
um, you know, gear up for for some more turnovers and, um, you know, missed layups and (laughs) whatever happens here down the stretch. Um, But uh, that's all we got for today. See you next time. The process lives on. In 1982, man, it was real cool in school If we got good grades, I straight up A's The parents were taken to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Serber called Philly is home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you want to make it on time to the show There's only one road that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feel in the fix Get on that road, they call 676 The most expensive, expensive piece of business They've ever made a fellas ain't famous But they got your game Getting on, getting on, 76 Travel by me, this very bird Getting on, 76 Travel by me, this very bird Welcome to the 76ers Report with your host, Jeff McMiniman and...